Welcome to The Culture Shift. We want this podcast to empower you as leaders to make impactful change in your workplace. I'm Vicky Bars, and I specialize in transforming organizations through equity, diversity, and inclusion initiatives. In each episode, we'll delve deep into the fascinating world of workplace culture. Join me as I sit down with an array of incredible guests, including members of our very own Culture Shift team and industry experts. Through these thought-provoking conversations, we aim to equip you with the knowledge, tools, and inspiration you need to drive positive change in your workplace. Whether it's breaking down barriers, thinking about how you include a more diverse workforce, or fostering a culture of collaboration and belonging, we've got you covered. So let's dive straight into an episode. Hello and welcome to the very first episode of The Culture Shift. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Gemma McCall, co-founder and CEO of Culture Shift. For our first episode, we think a great place to start would be looking back over the last few decades of work and what created the workplaces we know today, how society has changed within the working world and what cultural challenges this presents. But before we delve into this topic, I think it would be helpful for us to give a bit of context to who Culture Shift are and how we came to be. So Gemma, tell us a bit about Culture Shift. Culture Shift is a tech for good organisation that we um, founded in January 2018. Um, the work of Culture Shift, though, um, kind of predates that date when we wanted to create a, create a piece of software that removed barriers to reporting at universities. There was some uh, research conducted um, by the NUS into the experiences of female students at universities um, when it came to sexual harassment and sexual violence. Um, and some of the statistics that were found in that, um, that piece of research were startling. Um, they found that um, during their time at university, 60% of female students would experience um, sexual harassment or sexual violence. Um, and then further research found that less than 2% of um, those people who experienced it would report to their university and seek support for what they've been through. And then some other research highlighted that about 25% of um, women would leave university because of those results, uh, of those experiences. And um, it was just a sort of moment for me, like finding out that, that those statistics because they're so stark and behind those statistics are hundreds of women who have gone to university to study um, removing themselves from those environments because they are unsafe mm. and the fact that people weren't going to university to seek support was um, a bit confounding to me like I didn't really understand it so we collaborated with the University of Manchester and their students union um, to understand maybe some of the um, easier barriers um, to reporting that we could help remove by taking the um, process online um, and so our first system um, went live in 2017 I think um, and 
we had the anonymous reporting sort of route, um, which immediately is is kind of removes a big barrier to people when they can mm. um, keep their anonymity. Um, and the whole thing kind of started from there. Um, our work has broadened now to um, allowing people to report any kind of bullying, harassment or discrimination or mental well-being concern that they experience or witness. Um, we work with most of the universities across the UK, but we've always known that these hidden problems exist across our society um, and absolutely exist every single day in the workplace. Mm. So our work has has broadened out into um, various different workplaces across the UK and beyond. Yeah, and I think it's helpful as well to point out that like universities are also workplaces, right? So as well as students taking advantage of the reporting platform that we provide, um, so do staff who work in higher education too. Yeah, exactly. And then like removing the barriers to staff um, reporting at universities is like a, a very specific challenge that we have because the safety to speak up doesn't necessarily exist very well so you know we need to do all that we can to um, help create those safe spaces yeah massively and so um i guess today we are thinking about what a workplace is how um the workplaces we know today and obviously they're many and varied um but we're probably going to talk about the kinds of organizations we work with which tend to be large organizations Mm -hmm. with multiple like you know, in the thousands and tens of thousands of employees, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're talking about uh, often office-based or remote-based working, um, but obviously we do also span, you know, people who work in hospital environments and shift work. And mm-hmm. so, you know, workplaces are not homogenous. I think that's nope. really important for us to say at the beginning. Um, but there's certainly, um, you know, the workplace has changed in the last, say, 100 years. Mm-hmm. You know, um, offices didn't really exist in the concept of how we know them now and certainly remote working um has been you know much more prevalent in recent years Mm so i guess yeah it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts around how the workplace has evolved over time and and um how that's maybe impacting workplace cultures yeah i think in order to sort of answer and reflect on that i think looking at where we are now um which is a situation where um a lot of places offer hybrid working a lot of organizations um you know and that's something that's quite quite new um also i think there is a global understanding in the western world anyway um, about how um, more diverse workforces make for better business. Um, there's so much research and you know reports and statistics that we can look into that kind of prove that point. Oh, and we will on another episode. Don't <laughs> <Okay>. worry. <laughs> we absolutely plan to cover that in a few episodes' time. In fact, <laughs> so um, if that's sort of where we are today with that, like recognition of um, understanding that, that that makes a better. Um, place of work we've had organizations who have wanted to do get to that position but society has had to sort of catch up um Mm. uh, with that kind of way of thinking if you like um so you know what we had not that long ago is kind of like I don't know I always I always think of it like the world of mad men where it was like you know women were 
secretaries and like the men did the important jobs and the highly paid jobs and you know Mad Men is based at at that kind of real pivotal time of like late 50s 60s 70s where um so Mad Men's a tv show right sorry Sorry. I'm not familiar with it (laughs) (laughs) yeah so um, Mad Men is a um uh, a tv series about um, an advertising agency mm. in the sort of 50s and 60s and uh, season one starts and it is it, like all of the women are secretaries all of the men all wearing skirts and heels all wearing skirts and heels like mm-hmm. literally like you know heels like measured and, and oh. things like that um, and it's really interesting because you know as the as the um, seasons progress it's that changing face that mm. we all that we all experienced across the late 50s 60s and 70s and protections attitudes legislation had to catch up with people's ambitions to better themselves and 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 further themselves and not be put in a box of like okay I'm a woman I can only be a secretary and I can just try, I could try and be, ultimately be the boss of all the secretaries, but that's it for me. And women, you know, in particular, um, I'm going to talk about that just because that's like my personal experience. Them not being content with that and kind of like pushing the boundaries and asking why and demanding more. And that, you know, has happened sort of across various different areas of our society. And workplaces have had to cope and catch up with those changing ambitions let's say yeah and rising expectations as well right Mm -hmm. I think um you know the workforce has uh you know moved along with um big social movements Mm -hmm. so um you know it's not surprising that legislation uh, changed a lot in the 70s mm-hmm. after like swathes of feminist activism yeah and and you know um racial equality activism mm-hmm. and disability rights activism yeah. and gay rights activism and you know all, all of these things um were happening in wider society and it will have influenced the workplace mm-hmm. people began to think that they deserve to be treated better mm-hmm. than they were um and expectations rose and that and that's continued to change throughout generations mm-hmm. that are joining the workforce mm-hmm. and there is like generational differences in in what people expect but we i think it's really important to remember and, and reflect actually that we have people in the workforce who predate some of that legislation yeah who predate some of the sort of information architecture that we have now like you know the, the people who are graduating from university fresh out of school going to university obviously lots of people leave university as mature students but those who are coming straight out having gone there straight after uni- after school um you know they have so much information at the end of their fingertips in a way that you know we as millennials didn't yeah. have but certainly generations above us who are still in the workforce um definitely didn't have like you know some people who were still in the workforce there wasn't the internet yeah <laughs> they started and yeah. um and and so like bridging that expectation gap as well it's really interesting to see like um how you know that benefits everyone mm. in the workforce and and I think there's a lot of people um from all generations who who see that and um, embrace that and I think that's makes for a really um helpful uh, environment when it comes to cultivating um you know cultures where people can feel like safe and happy mm-hmm. in the workplace yeah definitely but I think it's challenging as uh, you know the, like the things that make you know 
that we recognise as being really positive steps forward for workplaces today. You know, there, there are challenges in, in getting um, to those places as well. Um, and like you say, there's such a bro wide and broad range of people and experiences and, um, you know, ages in, in our workplaces today that, um, you know, and that we all have to live harmoniously with and work harmoniously with um one another and that's not always easy mm. um which is i guess why we as cult shift exist yeah gives us work to do it does <laughs> so when we talk about the history of the workplace and um, perhaps it's useful to talk about some of the hard-fought wins mm -hmm. that um i guess trade unions and activists sort of worked for over the last decades so we talked about sort of particular social movements but obviously there's like key pieces of legislation that trade unions fought for to have protections in the workplace and mm -hmm. um, and you know you said you're quite interested in talking about things from your personal experience from share with us a bit about maybe some thoughts on that yeah um definitely so my personal experience was that um i had a very seamless and easy work life when I like I entered the workplace and I um you know came to work every day uh if I went for a job I generally got it and you know moved up the career ladder in a, in a fairly sort of easy way mm. um I remember um once putting on my CV, I was going for a new job and I remember once putting on my CV that I was newly married and that I like to go traveling with my new husband um and um I think my dad like read it was just like proofreading for me and was like oh I wouldn't put that in um on your CV because people might think that um you'll um you'll have a baby soon uh and I was like oh that was sort of like a like I've, that shows how uh you know protected I guess I, I like I was I was completely asleep to the fact that like that might be a thing and that mm. people might not be like oh congratulations on the we your wedding like where, where are you going to go next kind of thing so it was like my first kind of realization um and then uh when I did have kids uh I was um I experienced maternity discrimination um not once but twice I've got two kids and it happened both times wow. um the first time that it happened um it really kicked me in the ass <laughs> i won't lie like it um it i you know that your experience of um motherhood and and like becoming a mum and get and adjusting um to motherhood um that that first year is a very surreal year really but I, I always knew that I wanted to be a working mum and but as the time was kind of coming closer to me coming back to work um I was starting to think of like oh will I still be able to do it because I, you're, I was just totally in this kind of cocooned like new baby world basically so I started to have those like doubts in my in myself and then um the letter popped through the door one day to say uh, you've been made redundant and I can remember opening the letter and reading it and it was just me and, and Millie in the house and just looking at her and sobbing mm. and she started crying because like she could see that I was really really upset yeah. and just thinking I've been so 
I, I, I blamed myself. I felt like I'd been really reckless in like having a child, basically, because like I had to, you know, just so unfair. It, on it, you. Yeah, and it was, it was, it was real. I can remember it so clearly, like it was yesterday. Remember all the feelings and everything. Um, and so I got another job, but it kind of it wasn't like my what I what I wanted really. Like I went back full time because my perception was that there weren't any part time roles, and so I just had to go full time, and that was it. Um, and then something similar ish happened the second time um, that when I had my son Ronnie, and um, but that time the thing that was different was that um, social media had connected me with other working mums and if the first time I was really isolated and completely blamed myself for not being good enough um the second time around I was like hang on a minute this is happening to thousands of women it's not me because I've gone back to work and I've proven to myself and the world that I can do be a a mum and be someone who goes to work and it was just an eye-opening moment for me that second time because I'd been connected with other communities that and that I felt like very empowered by that basically um and so I was I guess that awoke the activist in me because I wanted to deal with that those situations by trying to solve them um and so I kind of went into working with um mums who had like started their own businesses whilst they're on maternity leave and and um built this like little networking group um and at the time I was working at uh, my old business which is called Trust with Carl who's one of the um co-founders of Culture Shift and that's when we started working with um the University of Manchester mm-hmm. um and that kind of the the like what Culture Shift is formed to do has kind of given home to that activism I guess um but it's it happens to so many people um even though there is legislation to protect people um and you know some of that legislation I'm pleased to say is strengthening um it's about to um strengthen even more because Mm. of campaigners like pregnant then screwed and mother pucker who have been um campaigning for better working conditions for um working parents um and without those campaigners you know we wouldn't they are hard fought hard won rights that that we have and we need to keep fighting and keep strengthening them yeah thanks for sharing that Gemma like you know I think it's these um individual experiences you know are important to hear um and I'm sure those listening will appreciate to have that reflection and and as you already said like the fact that it's not just happening to individuals like the, the individual narrative is really um powerful but actually that's one person's story and you said it's like thousands of people mm. experiencing it and I guess like there wasn't anything more um kind of powerful in recent history than the sort of Me Too movement in terms of sort of connecting different stories of mm. people who are experiencing um harm in all walks of life obviously yeah. we're focusing on the workplace and workplaces certainly did start speaking up and mm. you know Harvey Weinstein being held mm. accountable for his actions and yeah. people speaking out about that you know those moments in time they came at a really pivotal moment I guess in culture shifts history because mm. um we were already set on a path of trying to um be an organization that is going to prevent and respond to 
all of these harmful behaviors that happen mm-hmm. to people when they're working and studying so um yeah I think it's really like important to reflect you know the kind of snowballing effect of of those movements and George Floyd's death mm-hmm. um and you know the, the subsequent uh, I guess increased awareness of like the problem mm-hmm. as we're trying to cover in yeah. this episode is that you know these things are happening to people day in day out Mm -hmm. and it's all connected um and these things i think a response we hear from a lot of organizations is well it's not just happening here Mm. um and it that's yes that's true um but the point is it's also happening here right Mm -hmm. and we have to connect the what's happening in wider society with what is going on in the day-to-day of people's working lives yeah definitely and um I think sort of a concern of mine has been that those moments in time that are so important have meant that there has been a global shift in attitudes Mm. because of our global connectivity through social media and social media is you know a blessing and a curse you know it is a blessing in that way that um it's not just pockets of activism it is joined up activism which is incredible and so Mm. powerful um at the same time obviously you know there are there are huge problems and concerns with with social media but you can't deny that it's connected us as activists so that we can um, absolutely demonstrate the scale of the problem globally and platforms have changed to limit that connection actually like they used to be much more effective Mm -hmm. for that kind of organizing and I do think that um uh, this is a whole different podcast probably, but um, I do think that social media have um, managed the way that activists connect in, and it has helped, but it's it's also shifted, right? Yeah. And it's become actually more difficult. Um, we do see like posts sort of not getting the same sort of um, elevation and, and traction yeah. around these sorts of things, which is a challenge for us as an organization, mm-hmm. but also for anyone who is like challenging the status quo in, in society. Yeah, definitely. And I think that, like, you know, I was I was concerned because the Me Too movement had momentum behind it, and then with like that that kind of early discussion and then ultimate conviction of Harvey Weinstein, it was like we've 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 told the world that this is a problem. We've said this is a problem with this very powerful man, and something's been done about it. And I think that that really gave the movement like momentum. Mm. Um, I I think potentially because of the impact of covid that has maybe potentially like harmed the momentum of those movements because mm. we are now dealing with a global economic crisis yeah. you know partly down to um to um what happened with covid and it and it worries me because we can't let the work stop it's really really important that we keep learning and that we don't take steps back that we keep moving forward and keep getting better protections for everyone um across society and keep and keep making our places of work better and safer yeah it's it's you know we we can't stop just because the times are hard in fact we probably need to double down on it and work harder when the times are hard so that we can be better on the other side yeah and I want and I'd love to hear people's thoughts on their own experiences of um especially if you work in the field of like equity and inclusion but certainly my experience was it was 
even more seen as a nice to have mm. during that time um work that I was doing as a practitioner was very much put on pause or mm. dialed down or like pivoted to something that felt mm-hmm. a little bit more like crisis response perhaps um and yeah some of our longer term big projects around sort of like race equity perhaps mm. or like LGBTQ plus inclusion like were were paused mm. um whilst we reevaluated like how we were getting through um the pandemic and 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 it took a while for the leaders in the organization I was working with at the time to go oh hang on a minute though we also need to be in our crisis response thinking about like equity and inclusion yeah, as well because absolutely. um we could be going down a dangerous path here and, and we were lucky we had receptive leaders mm-hmm. but um and we had quite a resource well-resourced team as a large organization um in the public sector and so we were able to like make that case well but I imagine like most organizations weren't equipped to do that and th- this work will have taken in a back step yeah. and you know the, the, like that coupled with the isolation perhaps that like zipping to remote working having never done that before mm. um and the way that that could potentially then you know in, in like lead to experiences around bullying and harassment mm-hmm. um and how those experiences then are less likely to like people are less likely to say something if they're feeling isolated mm. um yeah it's quite like quite concerning like all of the different like you know social social movement impact but also the like personal workplace impact that um covid had and how that changed you know how we deliver this work definitely but i something that did not slow down is the number of reports being um submitted to our system like it went up if if anything Mm. and the poor behavior didn't stop it it shifted in um styles perhaps um but it didn't stop like it it continues to exist um you know so we've got to keep up we've got to keep resourcing the work um because ultimately all of these things are hidden beneath the surface like poor behavior bullying harassment discrimination um you only know a small percentage of it the iceberg effect yeah Yeah. exactly you've got to you've got to work hard to understand the um the extent and the size of the iceberg underneath the surface um and when we all went home you know that got even harder to be able to hear and see and notice different behaviors so that they could, those behaviors poor behaviors could be challenged and those good behaviors could be celebrated um now as we are in a situation where um you know we're increasingly in more of a hybrid situation i think it's probably gotten easier but there's still challenges there like you know we've we're recruiting at the moment and um one of the people that we have recruited has said that he felt quite isolated um just being remote all the the time and so was looking for like that balance and we as organizations have to respond to that and the response to that's quite expensive because it means Mm. you've got to fund an office um like a lot of organizations went do you know what we can work 100 percent remotely so let's get rid of our office which is a you know on the balance sheet is a good business decision right you're saving on that rent but then to the detriment of your of your people and, and your workforce who won't be doing their best work and ultimately that's what you've got to provide an environment where people can 
thrive and produce their best work because ultimately that's going to make your organization stronger so it's really important that it continues to be focused on um Mm. and built upon as we learn more things about the people who work for us so we've talked a lot about the history of um, problems in the workplace when it comes to bullying, harassment, sexual misconduct. Um, but let's bring it to the present day. A uh, recent development that we have been um, aware of is that Rachel Maskell, MP for York Central, is um, putting a bill through Parliament uh, to introduce a legal definition of bullying. So mm-hmm. it'll be known as the Bullying and Respect at Work Bill. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a really exciting development for a lot of reasons, but partly because there hasn't been a legal definition of bullying before. Um, and so organisations have um, sort of usually an ACAS definition, um, but uh, yeah, this could really like strengthen the way in which we respond to bullying specifically in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm personally like quite excited to see how the bill moves through Parliament and the impact it has on addressing some of these issues. Yeah, I am as well. There's other elements in the bill that I'm quite excited about. That that legal definition of bullying, I think, will um, be really helpful to employers because it's um, it's very open to interpretation at the moment and it's in the grey areas where the problems happen. So mm. I think that's going to that's a really positive element. Um, they've talked about. Um, employers having mechanisms for speaking up and reporting which is obviously uh, a, a lot of interest to us here at culture shift yes our bread and butter absolutely um and um so the reporting of incidents the investigating of incidents which is also something that employers need a lot of help and guidance with and then um part of the bill at the or the proposed bill at this moment in time is going to have um a like a sort of code of conduct or a um it's going to be it's called the respect at work code um and that will um the ehrc the equality and human rights commission will have the ability to enforce that mm. which i think is a positive thing because one of the criticisms um one of the many criticisms laid at the um the door of the ehrc is that it doesn't really have teeth as a regulator yeah. um we have seen them kind of exercise their rights a little bit more recently with um something that we've talked quite a lot about in our um in our um like webinars and things which is called section section 23 mm. which is when the EHRC impose obligations for um organizations to prove what they're doing to protect people from sexual harassment um in most cases so they've tried to sort of do as much as they can but they haven't had a lot of um teeth to bear and Mm. and and if they're given these extra regulatory powers then i think that's only going to be a positive thing for protecting people in the workplace um in her sort of research and backing up of the bill i think some of the statistics were quite interesting because um i'm not sure where this where these figures come from but she said that um 4.9 million uk workers have experienced bullying and 53% of victims are not reporting it at the moment. So that's over half the workforce. Yeah. And it's, that's, you know, we work, we do this every day. Yeah. And those statistics are shocking to me. Um, and it's because I think organisations talk a lot about nurturing a speak up culture, but in practice, 
don't make that happen. So the bu- bullying, so the bullying exists, and what happens is people just remove themselves from that organisation, which yeah. is costing organisations a lot of money yeah. when people leave. So um, you know, and that's not even taking into consideration the the personal toll those that that happens. So I think that bill can only be a positive thing um, to add more um, more parameters and give organizations better guidance on how and and what they should be tackling yeah and that 53 percent statistic is uh, is shocking um but it's also like you know we hear about reasons why people don't report these things day in day out and you know that might be because their fear they might not be believed yeah it it might be that they fear there might be repercussions and that you know they might worry that they might not get the promotions or uh, pay rises that they're aiming for and they may worry that they are um being seen as a troublemaker Mm -hmm. there's like so many different reasons why people are uh, worried about reporting these things and and you know it's absolutely absolutely imperative that um, organizations and leaders in organizations in particular really take this um, very seriously mm-hmm. and I think having um, strength in legislation and, and you know legislation isn't the be-all end-all no. it's imperfect in many ways and that's a whole other episode um, but it you know it's really it is something that people take seriously mm. the HRC having more teeth is something people will take seriously and it does mean that like hopefully greater investment and resources will go into organizations so that they can actually back up what they're saying because like linking it back to what we were talking about earlier and um, you know there there's all of these kind of big social movements that have made organizations step up and make anti-racism statements or statements about how they're addressing sexual harassment in the workplace but it's making sure you're actually got a proper plan in place yeah. um, and then you're resourcing that plan effectively mm-hmm. and then you're evaluating your success exactly. against that plan and mm. so you know it, like yeah I'm really excited about the fact that this bill might um, encourage greater resourcing and more effective prevention of these behaviours in the first place. Yeah, because just because it's the right thing to do doesn't mean that businesses will do it. Um, Mm. So I think morally we can all agree that it's the right thing to do to protect people from bullying, harassment and discrimination. Um, And what legislation can do is put those legal obligations onto employers so that they have to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So thank you so much, Gemma. This has been a really interesting episode and I think it's really set the scene um, for why we do what we do at Culture Shift and why we think it's important to be preventing and responding to bullying, harassment, discrimination or any form of harm that people experience in the workplace. Um, so today we've talked over like the history of the workplace. We've talked about how COVID changed the way we work. Um, we've talked about how social movements have influenced individuals and legislation and how organizations are responding to these issues. Um, and we've talked about what's happening in the present day um, around sort of, you know, changes that are going through parliament and how organizations can respond to that. So yeah. Covered a lot there, and um, I'm really, uh, yeah, pleased to have had this opportunity to talk with you about this today, and thank you so much. Ah, thank you so much for having me. I feel very privileged to have been the first person on your uh, podcast, and I wish you all the luck with it, and I know that it's going to be fascinating as we move through the different episodes. Thanks. Okay, bye. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for tuning into this episode of The Culture Shift. We hope you found it insightful and informative. 
We really appreciate your support and value your feedback. So if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review, share your thoughts, and don't forget to hit the subscribe button to stay updated on when we release new episodes. If you're interested in our other content or how Culture Shift can help your organization, check out our YouTube channel, website, or drop us a message, and I'll see you next time.